Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. I uh, hope you had a good week this week. And uh, I don't know if Damien made, made mention of this, but uh, a lot of our gals are away this weekend. They're on retreat. We got about 100, 120 of them up at Cedar Springs. They'll be headed back this afternoon. So, uh, so a lot of, lot of them are away. Sounds like some of their husbands are away too uh, today. I don't know about you guys, but uh, anyway, it is, I'm glad you guys are here. We are on our last week of our series in His Story, and so we're going to be in John chapter 20 uh, in just a moment. Ushers are going to offer a Bible to you. Um, just a heads up of what we're doing a little later in the service. We're, we're, we intentionally are leaving some time for worship at the end of the service, a little bit more uh, extended time there. Also, we're going to give an open invitation to baptism. If you've never followed the Lord in baptism, uh, today would be a great weekend if you've considered that, or maybe as the Lord speaks to you, even through the next few minutes, that you might want to uh, participate with that. I'm going to, uh, actually, I'm going to be doing the baptisms today. Uh, I, I don't do that very often, but I'm going to step down and and uh, take my shoes off and get in the, in the water. And so, uh, anyway, it'd be, it would be a joy. We, we were, Damien's still kind of in the afterglow of last service because we had a number of people that responded. So we're pretty excited. But uh, we're, we're picking up our series today. Uh, we are following the life of Jesus. If you haven't been with us these past several weeks, we actually started this back in Chris, at Christmas, uh, starting with the birth of Christ. And we've been working through, this is a little longer series than we typically do here at North Shore. But we've been watching and tracking the life of Christ and, and seeing the things that he's done. And I hope this has been meaningful to you. Back when we started off, I made a comment. I said, you know, if you stay, stay with us, if you hang with us, if you get the book and read with us, I think you're going to get to know Jesus better than you've ever known him before. Now, I don't know if we've delivered on that. Uh, I've got a number. Amen. That's good. That's encouraging. I... Uh, I, I found that, uh, that many of you wrote some emails along the way. Some of you said that it was great for your family because you talked about some of these things together as a family. Uh, some of you uh, mentioned that the fact that this kind of tracked Jesus' life chronologically, that that meant a lot to you. You were able to connect some dots that you'd never done before. Things that happened earlier in his ministry that maybe you never quite understood or appreciated that, that this was like in the onset and then some other things that happened later. Uh, I know for myself, uh, I've, uh, it's been a challenge to take five or six or eight or ten different stories that are in each chapter and find the common thread. There's been some revelations even for me after I've preached on these many, many years and, and very familiar territory, but there's been some some new insights uh, gleaned from that. I, I don't know if this is what to attribute it to, but I found it interesting since I've tried to take you to some of these places and borrow your imagination as we've walked through on the, on the, 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 the grounds of the, of the cities or the, the areas or the Sea of Galilee, that for some reason, you know, a couple weeks ago when we opened up our trip to Israel, we've had more people respond than, than we've ever had before. We have over 70 people registered to go uh, on our trip in February. And uh, for that reason, we added a second bus, and for that reason, we've got a few more spaces. If you uh, are just hearing about this, we, we would uh, invite you to, to just join us next February uh, for our 12-day trip to, to Israel and, and to Jordan and to some of the, the sites there. So, uh, I don't know. I, I just see that God has been using this in a powerful way. In fact, as I've been thinking about this, even this week and kind of going back over the past weeks, I've been thinking about this one I don't know what you'd call it. it. It actually was part of a sermon back in 1926. Dr. James Allen Francis wrote these familiar words, and you've probably seen it inscripted on a card or, or a poster. 
But uh, let me read it for you once again. It's called One Solitary Life. Have you ever heard of it? He said he was born in an obscure village, child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. Never wrote a book, never held an office, never really had a family or a home. He didn't go to college, never visited a big city, never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He had none of the things that usually accompany greatness, and he had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was then turned over to his enemies, and he went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves. And while he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property that he had on earth. When he was dead, he was buried in a borrowed grave through the gift of a friend. Three days later, he arose from the dead, and he interacted with hundreds of people who themselves were willing to die rather than deny his literal physical resurrection. Well, 19 centuries have come and gone. Today, he is still the central figure of all human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. And his name is Jesus. Isn't that great? I, I wish I could write a sermon like that that, uh, that might carry on and live on uh, as, as Dr. Francis has, has over these years. And that, that's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been talking about. And we're excited to where he's going to take us today uh, in this final chapter. And so I want to pray. I uh, want to pray not only for our time together today, but also for our gals that, uh, that are going to be heading back from their retreat. So could we do that? Lord, we just pause before you and we thank you just for your goodness and the grace that you've shown toward us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this, uh, this, this past study that we've been a part of these weeks and, and learning more about who you are, about your heart and your passion and, and your desire for us as your followers. Um, pray, God, for the impact that it's had on us, that it would continue on, and that we would continue to grow more in your likeness as a result. We look forward to even what you're going to say to us today. Lord, we also pray for those that perhaps have been drawn in during this time, and maybe today's that point of decision that they want to trust you for that salvation, and even outwardly express that through a baptism of which, which you've commanded us. I pray for our ladies that, uh, that are going to be returning from retreat. I, pr I pray they've had an amazing time uh, with each other, but also with you, and that they're going to come back changed, and that this is going to actually impact our whole fellowship uh, when they bring uh, that joy and excitement, uh, enthusiasm of what you're doing in their lives uh, together. So we commit all this to you today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're looking at John, uh, John's last chapter, uh, chapter 20, or actually 21, and we, uh, we want to kind of pick off, of course, last week we talked about the resurrection and Easter and celebrating the risen Lord, and uh, just before we conclude this whole journey, there were some things that happened in the days subsequent to the resurrection that we would call it, first of all, the appearances uh, of Christ, and as we review some of those, we know that he appeared to the disciples that first night. 
uh, after they discovered in the morning that he was gone, it says that he came in their midst. Uh, on that occasion, Thomas, one of the disciples, was not with them, you recall? Uh, and yet the others saw him. Apparently, right around that same time, maybe even that same day, Jesus was walking alongside two guys on the, their way home to Emmaus, which is a few miles down the hill from Jerusalem. He walked along, talked with them. They didn't know who he was. And they recounted all the things that had transpired you know, over that weekend. And uh, they invited him to come home and have, have a meal with them. And it says that as the bread was broken, their eyes suddenly recognized it was Jesus. They were so excited they couldn't stand it. They had to run back up to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples that he's alive. Well, they said, yeah, we know. He's, he's appeared to us too. And so uh, Jesus starts showing up in this way. A week later, about a week maybe, uh, that is when Thomas was with them, and he shows up again. Mark's gospel records the one appearing as a time when the 11 disciples were together reclining at the table. That means that they were, they were having a meal, most likely, and that's when Jesus showed up and it says that he rebuked them because of their unbelief, and that's kind of what went around the story of Thomas and, uh, and, and showing Jesus was alive, in fact, uh, to him. Well, the story I wanted to really take just a moment extra on was one of my favorite of all. I just have to say that. You know, there's some things that, that you just kind of are drawn to, and this story is one of those for me. I love this. Maybe it's because of the intimacy just, just it, it's not hard to imagine yourself in this moment, but uh, we're back up in the Galilee, okay? And you're probably just outside of Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. I like that name. Uh, good name for a church, by the way. Uh, and, and the disciples are out uh, fishing. Apparently, they had gone back to what they knew and they were told, in fact, to go back to the Galilee and that Jesus would, would meet, meet them there. So they're out about 100 yards off of the shore. They've been fishing all night, and they haven't caught anything. Suddenly, as the day is breaking, there's a, a person along the shore, just far enough to where they know that there's somebody there and that his voice could carry across the water. And this is what we'll call the call. Jesus, it's Jesus. They don't know this. But he says, hey, friends, have you caught anything yet? And they replied, no, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything. And he says, well, why don't you try throwing your net out on the right side of the boat? And don't you know, I could just see a big smile on Jesus' face because this is exactly what happened when he called them the first time, when they weren't even his disciples yet. They were out fishing, and he, he told them the, the same thing. So there must have been a little deja vu going on, right? And they're thinking, wow, this sounds familiar. And, uh, and so they did. They threw it out on the right side of the boat, and of course, now we see the catch. And the Scripture records this in John that 153 fish filled these nets, so much so that they couldn't even hardly pull it back in the boat. These boats are not very big, by the way, all right? Uh, you know, maybe 14 feet, maybe 16 feet, that's about, about it. And there's five or six guys in the boat, and they're trying to pull this thing, and I can just see the boat tilting on one side, and they're thinking, wow, what are we going to do? 
And that's when they knew, this is Jesus. Peter couldn't stand it. So he threw, throws on his uh, outer garment, jumps in the water, and swims to shore uh, so that he can go and, and meet the Lord. This is why I love this, this picture. You know, when we've gone there, uh, we usually take a little extra time and let our group just walk along the shore right in that, that very area. And I remember one conversation. Perhaps this is why it's been so meaningful to me. Uh, the trip, you know, where my, my cousin went with us. And I had not uh, been with my cousin Jim. I, I first spent time with him in 1975 where uh, he had lived over on the Central California coast, so he wasn't nearby, but, but I did an internship, and so I saw him that summer. And this, I was a new Christian, and, and we had conversations. But I probably only saw him one time since then. He reached out and he said, I hear you're going taking a trip to Israel. He said, could, could we, my wife and I go with you? And I said, absolutely. And he and I had some moments, but, but no moments like we had on that Sea of Galilee, right about at that same spot. And I remember him and I, while all the others were just walking along the shore, Jim and I just kind of pulled off, and I had a spiritual conversation with him at a level uh, like I'd never had before. Um, and I'll never forget it, you know, and in fact, six months later, he passed away. And I'll go back to that moment quite often uh, to the conversations that I had with him, the things we talked about, the things that we shared. And it wouldn't surprise me if the disciples would not go back to this moment we're describing many, many times in the subsequent years, that when, when they were in the hardships, when they were in the most difficult times, when the pre persecution was almost more than you could stand, they would go back to that, that moment along the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus showed up, where he was, he was alive and he was, he was resurrected. Well, he pulls Peter aside, and he has a conversation with Peter and it's quite interesting because he starts off by asking him a question. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter looks at him and he says, Lord, you, you know I love you. And then Jesus says, then, then take care of my sheep. And okay, that's, that's good. That's a confession. And this is the confession that Peter makes. I love you, Lord. But Peter, or Jesus asked him a second time, Peter, do, do you really love me? And he says, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, then feed my lambs. And then this is the one I want you to look at in your note that you have in front of you. A third time, verse 17, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of James, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Why do you suppose he was grieved? Some have suspected that it was about that moment that, that he, he connected the dots, that what Jesus was doing was asking him three times to confess that he loved him because it was three times that Peter denied that he even knew him. Isn't it interesting how the Lord can kind of just subtly bring us to a place of, of conviction, we'll call it. Not condemnation. I don't think he was trying to, to beat him down for what he did or to make him feel bad or shameful. I think Jesus was just trying to affirm what really matters to me is, do you love me? And like he told the disciples in the upper room in John 14, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And what is the thing he's asking him to do? All he's asking him to do is take care of my sheep, take care of my people, feed my sheep, the flock. And he says, you know who they are. Do you love me, Peter? He says, that's all that really matters. And, and in that moment, I could just see his heart just going, Wow, 
how the, Lord, how the Lord loves me. How can I help but love him? And I think that relationship was healed. It was restored as a result of that. That's how the Lord works. I don't know if you're here today. And maybe there's been something that has broken that relationship. Maybe you're, maybe you're not on talking terms. Maybe there's something you feel like that, that has separated you from the Lord or your walk with the Lord to the extent where you, you just kind of wonder, well, where do we stand? Just know this. It's that same Jesus I think that comes to us and all he's interested in, do you love me? If you love me, then, then you'll, you'll, you'll follow me and you'll carry out the things that I've asked you to. And so this was, uh, John records, this was the third time that he had appeared. And we just recounted the other two times with the disciples. And now the final time we're gonna take you back to the Jerusalem area. Uh, both Luke and uh, the Gospels record that he was in Bethany or the Mount of Olives. We've described this several times. It's just across the valley from the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Bethany was maybe three miles up a, a hill over the Mount of Olives on the back side of it. And that's where he would have been staying with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, their friends. This is where they would, uh, he and the disciples would stay when they were in the Jerusalem area. And so they're up on this mountain and it's at that time that he shares his final words. We'll call this the commission, okay? The commissioning of these disciples. Uh, one of the gospels in Matthew says that these final words Jesus shared were summed up this way. In fact, we call this the great commission. He says, listen, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. We call this the Great Commission. Guys, here at North Shore, just to reaffirm, you know, what God's called us to do and who, who he's called us to be. Uh, our ministry here is built on two pillars, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Uh, the great commandment is when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He says, to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, your strength. And he says, the second is like it, to love others, to love people as you love yourself. Those are, that's the greatest commandment. And this is why when you walk around our campus, you'll see signs that say to love God, to love people. And then the great commission is the other pillar to make disciples of all nations. You, you know by now that that's what we're given to is to, to invest and to uh, share this life with others in a way that they can ultimately reproduce that into another spiritual generation. We want you to grow and to mature, to become spiritual parents so that we pass this on. This is what Jesus shared with them. And here at North Shore, we're just doing our best to carry that out and, uh, and to do just what he said, even including the baptizing, teaching them to obey whatsoever he's uh, commanded us uh, to do. So that's what Matthew does. Now, maybe you notice this. In Matthew's gospel, he says, Jesus mentions, I'll be with you till the end of the age. Luke records that apparently at the same time, this prompted them to ask, okay, wh when is that gonna be? When is that end of the age? When are you going to come and establish your kingdom? And they still thought in terms of him coming to set up a literal kingdom here, okay? But Jesus said, it is not for you to know the hour or the times of that. And so he kind of shelves that discussion. And then he says, but here's what's important. 
you stay here in Jerusalem until you have received what I promised you. And what he's referring to is, in fact, what we're going to be spending a little time uh, for a few weeks leading up to uh, the day of Pentecost, which is uh, May the 20th. It's 50 days after the Passover is Pentecost. And Jesus is telling these guys, you stay, you wait until you've received. And what we know now is, is he's referring to the Holy Spirit that is going to be poured out. They didn't know. They didn't understand that. All they knew is Jesus was saying, stay put until, uh, until you receive what I told you about. Now, if we can do the math, uh, Luke records that Jesus had appeared in these resurrection appearances for 40 days. So he was still hanging around uh, Jerusalem, this area, for 40 days. And it was after the 40 days when apparently he's on the Mount of Olives. And that's where I want you to pick up in the book of Acts, if you will. Just turn actually one page over if you, if you have the Gospel of John open. And I want to read uh, Luke's version of this. Maybe you're not aware that Luke not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. Okay? And he starts off, and he's talking about his first book, O Theophilus. He says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given the command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. <clears throat> it says, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days, and then speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay? So if 40 days is marked from let's say, the, the resurrection on that first day, and then he appeared for 40 days, and we know Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover, which was the Friday, we're talking about them waiting for about a week, okay, before the Lord, uh, before he's going to send the Holy Spirit. I don't know if they connected the fact that it would happen on Pentecost, but that was by design, and uh, in a few weeks, we're going to dig a little deeper into that, and, and we will look at that, but but this is what Jesus is promising. So, verse 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know these times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay? Well, when they said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." I, I, I don't know, this is my mind and the way I work. Or I remember when I was a kid, you know, we go to a park, you know, like, like a Disneyland or something, and ki kids would walk around with the helium balloons, you know, with a, a Mickey Mouse and the ears, and a, a, lot, a lot of them would unfortunately lose contact with them, and the balloons would start floating up. 
and you'd always see these helium balloons every once in a while, you know, going up. And I remember just watching and then kind of testing to see how long can I, could I see that until you won't be able to see it anymore, until it comes just a little bitty dot, and then all of a sudden it like disappears. And you're just kind of looking, 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 looking. This is how I see these guys. Jesus is going up, 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 up. And they're just looking, looking. And it had to take an angel to come say, hey, guys, come back here. He says, that same Jesus that you just have seen go, he is going to come back just like that. And if you think about this, this really constitutes two things. For some of us, it constitutes a promise. But for others of us, it's a warning. And I think it's my responsibility to share both. The hope of the promise is for those of you who know Jesus Christ, you put your trust in him, and you understand what he's done and what he's done for you, and you put your faith in his sacrifice so that when you stand before the Father on that day, you, you are, are gonna be declared righteous in his eyes, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus inside of you has done. For you, this is a promise. He is coming back. And like we talked about last week, when he comes back, that's when you will be changed into his likeness. That's when you'll receive your resurrected body that is gonna live forever and ever and ever in the presence of the Lord. Jesus, as we learned last week, was the first fruit of that. That's what he he revealed to us, and you're gonna receive that very same thing. That's the promise. Now, I also have to say, for some of us, though, it's a warning. If we are not prepared, if we've been putting this off or we have not trusted the Lord We thought, oh, well, the day might come, or when this happens, or that happens, or I get my act together, all these kinds of things that we can do to put it off, to defer that. For you, this is a warning. You do not know the hour when the Son of Man will return. You don't know when this is gonna happen. It could happen at any moment. And he will come back, and at that time, the Bible says that's when the judgment will be. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for man once to die and after that the judgment. And we do not want to be caught unaware. And so this promise came to these guys and and as he's going into the heavens, they're now uh, going back to Jerusalem and they're going to wait. And they waited for about a week. And here's what happened in chapter 2 of Acts. Uh, The Spirit came down and filled the place. It happened to be at Pentecost when there's thousands more people there than normally would have been in Jerusalem. People from all kinds of backgrounds and countries and cultures. I think I heard once that there were over 14 different regions that would be represented there. So different languages and dialects. and, And when they were filled with the Spirit, these guys began to praise God in a way that everybody around them understood exactly what was going on although it was so weird that they thought they were all been drinking. I mean, literally, that's what happened on that day. They thought they, they, they were intoxicated. They were acting so, so you know, jubilant. And, they, and Peter had to stand up and begin to tell them, that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is what you heard about in the prophecy of Joel, that, that God would send out his spirit. You're seeing this happen right before your eyes, okay? So, so this is how it carries out. What I want to do this morning uh, with us, I want, to, I want us to just, those of you particularly that have been with us the past weeks and been on this journey together, um, 
as we come to this last weekend of his story and, and following this, I, I, wanna, I want us to, to wrap ourselves around a, a challenge or a question, and that is, how do we make his story our story? How do we do that? Has this just been a good exercise in lessons? I mean, you could have taken a college class and learned the facts about Jesus, right? What difference would that make, just to have the knowledge about, oh, well, he did this, and he did that, and he said this, and he said that? that that's not what we're after here. What we're after is, has he made that difference in your life? Has his story become your story? And how does that happen? Well, as I was looking at Peter's uh, discourse, his, his first sermon, if you will, one thing that's remarkable is it's the same Peter that denied Jesus there outside of Caiaphas' house that now is standing before thousands of people and declaring Jesus Christ crucified but risen. Okay, that's the same Peter. And when Jesus uh, spoke to these guys, Jesus himself said, when that happens, when that day comes, he says, you're going to become witnesses. And friends, a witness is just simply somebody who has had firsthand experience with what has taken place. And so for just a moment this morning, I want to walk you through and ask you the question, are you a witness? One of the first things that will happen to a person who makes his story our own story is we will see ourselves as a witness of Jesus Christ. Now of what? What do you witness? What, what have you experienced? Well, here's what Peter appeals to in his sermon, okay? Look at this. In, in Acts 2.22, one of the first things he says is, when you're a witness, you are going to remember and recall the wonders and the signs and the works that Jesus Christ has done. Listen to what he says. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. We, we know and we've learned that those works are what God used to, to authenticate his deity, to give him credibility in the eyes of, of the people. And they knew it. These guys right in Jerusalem, they knew it. The stories were spreading. Not only what Jesus did up in the Galilee, but remember, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and he was kind of a local guy, and he was right there for people to, to talk to and converse with and to, and to verify what happened. Jesus did healings in Jerusalem. He healed a blind man there and others. Uh, so, so these stories were spreading, but he was appealing to the works, the mighty works of Jesus. Can I ask you this? Have you witnessed the wonders and the works of Jesus in your life? Have you seen him at work? You know without a doubt, this is the Lord, and only the Lord could do these things. Have you attested to that? All right, tuck that away. Because as he, as he continues this sermon, he also says, and, and another thing, he goes, the prophecies, and now he's speaking to a Jewish audience, and a lot of these Jewish leaders are right there within him. They knew the scriptures, and they knew what the scriptures said about the coming Messiah. Friends, the Old Testament is full of what we call prophecies, 
things written hundreds, if not thousands of years before Jesus came, they knew these things and there was an anticipation that the Messiah, this is what it would look like, this is what he would do, this is something that would happen, these are the events that would take place, okay? They knew these. And every single one of them, Jesus Christ fulfilled. Do you know there's not just a few, there are over 300 of those kinds of prophecies. And every one of them, Jesus fulfilled. And he's appealing to that. And you're saying, well, you know, couldn't he do these self-fulfilling, you know? I mean, he knows that he knew the scriptures and he could go out and do them himself. Well, in some cases, like the donkey. Remember the donkey he rode into the, the city on, uh, on Palm, we call it Palm Sunday? And he said, you guys go over here and you're gonna find, find this, uh, this donkey. And he said, tell him the master needs it. Okay, you know, he could have controlled that. He couldn't control, though, where he was born. He was born in Bethlehem. There's no way that he could have had anything to, to do with that. Couldn't control who he was born to. He couldn't control so many of these. I mean, look at on the cross. While he's dying on the cross, these soldiers at his feet are gambling for his clothes. And that was prophesied hundreds of years before this. Literally. And so... Peter's appealing to this, and this is the one thing he's lifting out. He's saying David, the beloved David, that they would have all revered. I mean, he was, he was the guy. And he's saying in David's writing in the Psalms, here's what David himself said. I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand, that I might not be as shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You'll notice in the scripture that that's capitalized because that was attributed to the Messiah. Your Holy One, the Messiah, will not see corruption. In other words, he won't remain in the grave. This was the hope David had and he passed on. And so the bottom line is what we experience is the resurrection. That's what we testify. That's what we witness to is that Jesus Christ has been raised. Peter appeals, he says, I foresaw, or he foresaw, meaning David, and he spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Have you witnessed the resurrection of Jesus? Have you personally met the living Jesus? I know you guys probably get tired of hearing about it. I don't get tired telling you about it, though. The day I met Jesus... I tell you, it was so supernatural. I mean, it was Jesus, and I couldn't stand it. I remember jumping out of my car and shouting as loud as I could, he's alive, he's alive, he's real. He's in, he just came into my life, you know? I mean, when you meet Jesus, it is unmistakable, amen? amen. You know that you know that you know that he is alive, and you've met the resurrected Jesus. Everything that he said now comes to life through his Holy Spirit that dwells uh, within us. And so this is what he's appealing, and I'm appealing to that today for you. Do you know that Jesus? Do you know that Jesus? You will be a witness to these things, his works, the truth about what it says in the scriptures. But bottom line is that, that he's alive, and we can't help but tell people what we've witnessed. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a Bible professor. You don't have to have it all together. All you got to do is just tell somebody, this is what I experienced. Kind of like the blind man. I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. 
is Jesus Christ is alive. That's what will accompany those who make his story our story. Now, how do you get there? What's the entry point? And I see two things that happened in this sermon that I don't want us to miss today. Two things that happened as a result of this. Here's the first one, is that when he wants you to be part of his story, there is going to be a sense of what we call conviction that will accompany this. They, will be con- they were convicted. Listen what happens. As he shared all of this, he says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What are we going to do? They didn't just pass it off. There was something about that moment that all of a sudden the light bulbs were coming off. And they're saying, wow, this, this makes sense to us. We, we were the ones that did this. What do we do about this now? How do we respond? Have you ever been brought to that place? Friends, you can't get there on your own, by the way. It's not going to be, you know, as a, as a preacher and have somebody who's done this for a while, you know, you share this news and you share it with, with all the passion and everything that the Lord's got. But I also recognize unless the Holy Spirit is at work in you already, there's nothing I can say, there's nothing I can do, there's, I can't be compelling enough, I can't be clever enough, I can't, I can't make this happen and convince you. It's the Spirit that will draw you to a place where you'll say, you know what, God is calling me. This, this is for me. He's speaking to me right now. And I, I just, I've never met anybody who, who escaped that particular experience of conviction. This is the Holy Spirit conviction that happens. And you come in and you say, what do I have to do? What do I do? And this is where they were at. And everybody who has made his story their own story has gone through that passage. So what's the answer? Here's what you do. This is Peter, timeless. He said, this is what you gotta do, two things. He says, Peter told him, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Could it be any more straightforward? Two things, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And they, basically it's up to us to obey that command. It's, it's not a suggestion, friends. This is not just a, a little suggestion out there. Oh, well, when you get ready or what, when you think about, this is a command of the Lord. And going back to what we said earlier, if you love the Lord, what are we going to do? We're going to obey his command. And I love that. You know, when God's speaking to a heart, we just do what he tells us to do. And, uh, and we carry that out. And so, this, I, you know, I tried to even make it even simpler if I could. I use the acronym BASE. How do you get on BASE, all right? If you were thinking, how do I get on BASE with God? Here's four things, B-A-S-E, acronym, all right? Number one, you believe. And I'm gonna ask you, do you believe what we've said this morning is true about Jesus? Do you believe that he is the son of God? you believe that he lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and he rose again from the grave? By the way, that's exactly what we'll ask you over in the baptismal. That's what the confession that we make through our baptism, and we've heard it many times, but, but that, do you believe that? The second thing is to admit. Admit that I have, have sinned, that I've broken God's law, and friends, in case you don't know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
If we have this notion that I'm going to be good enough or I'm going to straighten my act up or I just love this. I didn't tell it last, last service, but we had a baptism in the last service and he shared his testimony. And I just love this, just in the simplicity of his heart. Uh, one, of, one of my friends is discipling this guy and so I've kind of got to know the, the inner circle, but he, he said, you know, I always thought I had to be perfect before I was baptized. And he said, well, when I started coming to North Shore, I found out I wasn't perfect, you know, and, and that you didn't have to be perfect. And kind of the way he said it was like he's around a lot of imperfect people. You know what I'm saying? And I, I just smiled and I thought, that, that's really cool. And he said, you know, it's, it's time. And he says, I've been putting this off. But, but he's admitting the, the need to obey the Lord. The, the S stands for surrender, surrender. This is where this word repentance comes. It means to turn around. It's all that word means. You're going one direction, and now it's time to take an about face and come back toward God. And you're just saying, Lord, I, I'm going to give my life to you, and I surrender my life. I'm going to come back toward you. And then the last thing, the E, is express it. He has called us to express it, and this is where baptism comes in. What is, what is baptism? Is it just a ceremony that we go through or just a symbol we go through? Yeah, in some respect, but, but it is something that we've done ever since the time of Christ. The church has a common message by the way and manner in which we do it. At North Shore, we do it through immersion. That's what the word literally means is to be immersed. It means to be plunged or to come under. And, and that's, it's, it, it, is a, it is an important picture of us dying with Christ, being buried with him, and then coming back and identifying with the newness of the resurrected life. Here's how Paul put it, okay? Romans chapter six. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life for if we have been united with him in death, then like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. Isn't that something? Last week, if you were here on Easter Sunday, I talked about the, the seeds. Remember the package of seeds and inside? A little bitty seed, but on the picture on the outside is, is the promise of what those seeds would create. How do they get to the picture on the outside? You have to take the seed, you have to bury it, and then it comes to life and hopefully grows into the picture. This is exactly what Paul's saying. And baptism is, is just that symbol to outwardly express what God has done. You know, um, some, some of you, if you've not followed the Lord in that, again, we're gonna be doing that in just a moment and welcome to, to just take that step. I was, I was just so blessed by a sister earlier because I, I had shared um, there's just something when you know Jesus, there is something that, that just wants to do that. You don't hesitate. There's no hesitation. You say, wow, whatever he's telling me to do, I'll do that. I remember that happened to me as soon as I understood that because I wasn't raised in an environment where they did it. I was raised in an environment where I was sprinkled as a little infant. And in, in fact, I've, I've shared the story, but my great aunts uh, were over in the Bible lands back then. This is back in the 50s, okay? That was a big trip. And they brought back a jar of water from the Jordan River for me to be baptized in. And so they had this thing, you know, where they sprinkled me in as an infant, and I, I didn't have a clue, and I didn't know the Lord until I was 17 years old. And when that happened, I knew 
I knew that I needed to follow the Lord in baptism by immersion. But my aunts, when they heard I was going to be a preacher, they thought it was the water that they brought from the Jordan River <laughs> that had this effect and this power over, you know, you understand, it didn't work that way. It wasn't the water, in other words. But I shared this in the nine o'clock service, and a dear sister said, that was how I was baptized. I, I was in, that's the only baptism I've had. And she just got up, and she met us over here, and she was baptized this morning. That was obedience. Hey, thank the Lord. I, and I just love that. It, that's, that's what this is about. It's not putting it off. It's not kicking the can down the field. It's just saying, Lord, if you've shown it to me, that's what I want to do because I love you. And Jesus is like to Peter. He says, do you love me? And then you'll, you'll do what I've asked. And so today, uh, what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite our worship team to come up, and they're going to they're sing a few songs, and we're going to worship the Lord. And as we do, uh, just celebrate baptism. And I'm going to actually go and get ready uh, to, to be a part of that and look forward to that. And if you're being prompted, you meet us over here. Pastor Paul and some of his uh, volunteers are going to be there. Uh, you say, well, I didn't come prepared. I didn't, I, I, I didn't bring the, the right clothes. We've got robes of righteousness for you, okay? Right behind that door, right over there, if you, if you don't want to go home wet. But uh, you, you just do what God tells you to do. And I believe if you obey him, he's, he's going to be blessed, and so are you. So let's stand together, and I want to commit this time to the Lord as we just honor him. Father, thank you for this time. And I know, Lord, that often we hear things, and it brings us to a point of decision. There may be a person right now in the room that's right on the cusp of that decision. I just pray that they'll take a bold step of faith, a courageous step of faith, and to trust you for what you're prompting them to do. God, we don't know what that looks like, but we know your spirit's at work right now, and we love you. We thank you for that. Uh, we, we honor you, and you are worthy of all of our worship. Thank you for the journey that we've been on and for the growth that has happened. Pray that we can even move onward and upward from even this place uh, together as a community. So we commit these next few minutes to you just that you'll be pleased and blessed uh, by looking into the hearts of the men and the women that are here today and uh, by the obedience uh, of, their, of their following you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.